G'day, welcome along to another sermon from Good News Christian Church in Howrah, Tasmania, Australia. I'm Bernard Kane, I'm the pastor. Get in touch sometime at goodnewschristianchurch.org or why not come by one Sunday morning. For now, here's the sermon. Last time, rather, that we were in Jonah, chapter 1, do you remember where we left off? Perhaps some of us weren't here and we could do with a bit of a recap. Last time we met a man, Jonah, uh, who was called by God on a mission of compassion, as I see it. I know he was told to go to Nineveh and preach about their wickedness, but it seems to me, and it seemed to Jonah as we read on, that it was a mission of compassion. Would he bring the word of God to his own natural enemies, more than that, to God's enemies, really, to those who, you might say, were more God-less than anyone else in the entire world, the city of Nineveh, the capital of Assyria in that day. And we met a man, Jonah, who refused. No. God said, get up and call, go to to Nineveh and preach to them. And he got up and went the other way, didn't he? And so we watched Jonah run and we witnessed his uh, reluctance. And I think from Jonah chapter one, at least, we found Jonah to be a rather, a frankly, unlikable character. Was that Jonah chapter one? Uh, but mercy of mercies, all was not lost because we met the sailors as well, who turned out to be rather nice fellows. Uh, every, uh, they, they were crewing the ship that was to carry Jonah to Tarshish. Do you remember? And frankly, I think we liked them. They were rather likeable fellows, though, yes, godless sailors as they were. Didn't we warm to them? Why? Because they reminded us of the God whom Jonah was fleeing from, ironically. Um, And God had sent a storm, of course, against the ship, although really it was targeted at Jonah. And those sailors, they carried themselves, didn't they, with sincerity and with integrity Um, even as they faced their own uh, apparent calamity as they were facing their own deaths, they seemed careful and measured and considerate. Um, God, we know this is Jonah's fault. Uh, We can see that, but we don't want to throw him over the edge. We don't want to throw him to his death, even though he's told us that's the only way that we can save our own skins. So Jonah chapter 1 verse 14, then they, that is the sailors, cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Now, if only God's man, Jonah, was half the man of God that those sailors seemed to be. You see, that was Jonah chapter 1. And so when they threw him overboard, uh, reluctantly, though they did, and fearfully, as they, uh, fearful as they were at the time, I think in the story, you get a certain, there's a certain sense of, how would you describe it? Um, there's a sense of peace and order that's restored to things for that running and reluctant and unlikable fellow has been thrown into the drink. He will suffer his fate. He must face his God for running away from him. But the sailors, ah, the sailors, they found God through this experience, haven't they? So Jonah 1 verse 15, uh, then they took Jonah, threw him overboard and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. This is the Lord that they hadn't known just a few verses beforehand, feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. And friends, I think we're to imagine those sailors now as the ship sails on, 
on uh, calm waters off into the sunset. Can you see it there? These grown men, can you see them on deck with tears of gratitude streaming down and relief, with smiles of disbelief as they look at one another, probably quietly, don't quite know what to, as they begin to laugh, embracing one another, these sailors on that ship, as they pray to, to the God that they have found, our God who hears and who knows and who cares for us once godless ones. But friends, this week, today, as the ship recedes into the distance, we have the unpleasant task of watching a man drown, it seems to me, as you read through Jonah chapter 2, and it happens rather slowly. Now, I know that he survives. We know that he survives. Chapter 1, verse 17, in fact, before chapter 2 even starts, tells us that he is swept up in the, the whale and all the, all the fish and all the rest. We know that, but here's the thought. The narrator of Jonah... Uh, in the, the way that he tells chapter 2, it seems to me, wants us to see a transformation that is far more extraordinary and miraculous and wonderfully strange than any encounter with the whale. Uh, we're shown the transformation of the heart of a man, which turns out to be more extraordinary than his transportation in the body of a fish. Uh, but it only comes if we watch him succumb to the waves, with his heavy clothes, perhaps cold, with plenty of time to think about it, it seems to me, and realise what's about to happen. As Jonah, has, a, he gives up, he resigns himself. That's the unpleasant place that Jonah chapter 2 takes us to. Uh, now, may I just acknowledge, uh, before we pray and get into the text... Um, I am acutely aware, as I look at this passage, that some of you have faced the imminence of death, um, its inevitability, um, far more acutely than I have. And I know that. And I don't want to pretend otherwise. Um, some of you, even now perhaps, hold an awareness um, of your mortality more sensitively than I do. And I appreciate that. Um, but it is true, isn't it? One day it'll be me. One day it'll be you, whoever you are. Uh, but for the return of Christ, one day it will be each of us. So this day, let's ask God to prepare us through this story of Jonah. Prepare us not only for death, but as it seems to me in Jonah chapter 2, prepare us for life in view of the God who can spare us from death. A life not only barely lived a life of peace, a life even of praise. Let's pray together as we come to Jonah chapter 2. Our Father God in heaven, as we um, turn to your word now, and uh, specifically as it addresses us at our most frail and vulnerable, we ask that we would hear your voice, a voice that turns terror to peace, that turns reluctance into praise. Would you please help us to find in this one man's prayer a voice for our own deepest longings and concerns and worries and to bring those before our God. We know, O oh God, that you are our Lord. You are our Lord in the sunshine as well as in the gloom. Uh, when the day, when the sky is clear as, when, as well as 
when the storm clouds roll in, in seasons of abundance and scarcity. So fill us this day, please, with your spirit. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. May I make a quick comment as we turn to chapter 2? So Jonah chapter 1, actually, verse 17. Have a look there. 1 verse 17. Now the Lord provided the huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And you look down at chapter 2 verse 10. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah on dry land. Uh, Just a quick comment. What kind of a fish was it? Uh, Or could it have possibly been? Uh, Was it a fish in the sense, in the way that we categorise animals according to modern zoology, uh, or might it have been a whale? Would that be permissible? Uh, The short answer to all those sorts of questions, I've got to say, friends, is I don't know. And the text actually gives us precious little detail, um, and I'm not sure that we'll ever sort of know or be able to figure it out exactly. There are lots of theories, as I'm sure you can imagine, and perhaps you've read those. Uh, Perhaps I should mention there are plenty of Bible-believing Christians, and I mean conservative-minded Bible-believing Christians, who believe that Jonah is, yes, it's God's word to us, but they are convinced that it's actually a parable. It's intended as a fable, uh, you know, like like one of Jesus' parables. There are parables and stories and fables and so on in all all sorts of parts of Scripture. Um, In other words, those Bible-believing Christians think, well, there was no fish, it's just a story. Um, May I say, I believe there was a fish. Um, I think this is one of those parts of God's word uh, that's not just a parable, it's telling us history. Uh, No, it's telling us the extraordinarily unlikely but true tale of a man who really was swallowed up by an enormous monster of the sea, one way or another, and who, get this, spends his days in that beast singing like a sailor to his God. What an extraordinary picture. It is a crazy story, but it is also delightful, I think. Jonah emerges from the fish, whatever kind of creature it was, thoroughly unrecognisable from the man who entered that fish just a few days beforehand when he was thrown overboard. His transformation is more miraculous than his transportation. I mean, God can... He's God. God made all the fish. He made the whales. He made the sea. He made our lungs. He made everything. I'm pretty sure God can carry a man in a fish for a few days if that suits his purposes. I'm not worried about that end of things. His transformation is more miraculous than his transportation from reluctance and running and being resigned and kind of ruthless. We hear, can you picture this, as the fish enormous as it is, swims past us, directly in front of us, we hear the light-hearted voice of a man from within, no doubt with a giddy little grin on his face, trapped in this fish but singing his heart out to the God whose love has surprised and saved him. Now, for some, that's a bit too much and it must be a parable and it couldn't possibly have happened. For me, I don't know, I reckon God has not only the power to make it happen, but just the kind of delightful sense of humour that would bring it about in just this kind of a way. Anyway, there's a little comment on the fish. We can talk more about that, or whale or whatever it was. Uh, if you'd like to have a, more of a chat with me about, uh, about that sort of stuff, I would like to talk about it. I just don't think it's the main point of the text, so, and I do want to get into that. So here's our question today. Where lies the path from the deep waters of hollow resignation through to 
the firm footing of happy praise. Where lies the path from the deep waters of, of hollow resignation, as he's there at the bottom of the sea, to the firm footing of happy praise in your life? Where lies the path to get from one to the other? I think the path emerges in Jonah's plight, Jonah's plea, and Jonah's pledge. Jonah's plight, Jonah's plea, and Jonah's pledge. So let's read together. Jonah's plight, first of all. And the only thing, we'll read the text a few times uh, as we look at it now. Uh, the, the only thing I want us to notice initially uh, is that God let him get to the brink, it seems to me, from what Jonah says. Let him get to the brink before the whale arrived. I wonder if you'd agree. Uh, Jonah chapter 1, verse 17 Now the Lord provided a huge fish. See, we're told up front. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. And you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas and the Currents swirled about me, all your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. It's quite awful, isn't it, Um, hearing kind of how close he came, I think. And on the one hand, God was a million miles away. On the other hand, God seemed to be right there, a million miles away in the sense that, God, I'm calling to you in my... I'm about to drown here. I've gone under. I'm trapped in this seaweed at the bottom of the ocean. God, where are you? Was that kind of a sense. But on the other hand, uh, like verse 3, God, you hurled me here. Uh, The prophet who didn't want God's will for his life and didn't want God, didn't want to be anywhere near God, in a million years, it seems to me, said, go and call to Nineveh. So he got up and went the other way. He finds that God's withdrawn and yet is also the one who's orchestrated his demise. What an awful thought. God's withdrawn from your life and orchestrated your demise. And we can see Jonah going under, can't we? Verse 5, you have a look there, the engulfing waters. It's sort of a progression downwards, isn't it? The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed has wrapped around my head. I don't know the last time you swam in seaweed. And down he goes, verse 6, to the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath barred me in forever. It sounds more like a grave, don't you think, than the ocean? And that's exactly what it was, his grave. Jonah wasn't so much caught in a situation in which, well, he might die. He knew he was gone. But, and I think this is the point, it happened slowly enough that even he had to admit he knew what was happening. Verse 4, I said, I've been banished from your sight. Do you see it? Verse 3, 
you hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas and the currents swirled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. So he isn't just drowning, is he? As tragic as that would be on its own. He is dying without his God, under the hand of his God. Is that the measure of it? And I think it's a gift because it's the first step on the path. And in a sense, if you haven't come to a place where you're able to see your demise in those stark and clear and naked terms, that you live or die before the watching eye of your God, then maybe that's a step on your path. Maybe dwell on that. Because without Jonah's plight, you see, I don't think we'd ever hear his plea, much less his praise uh, toward the end and his pledge back to his God. So Jonah's Jonah's, uh, plight, first of all, his plea, let's quickly read again if we could. And this time, could you notice something else as we read through? Just notice this, uh, call your attention to this. To whom, uh, it might sound an obvious kind of a question, but to whom, or perhaps better, to where, in which direction, toward where... Does Jonah direct his prayers? Um, have a look here. It's, it's simple, but I think it's profound. So let's take a look again, just from chapter 2, verse 1 this time. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. So just notice, where is Jonah? He is down, he is deep, he is um, drowning at this point. And where is the Lord? So verse 4, keep reading. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was trapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever, but you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. So it seems to me that the hand of his God reaches, where would you say, from his temple, which is either up, it's a little bit um, difficult to tell, is it up in the sky or just up because he's down at the bottom of the sea? Uh, so, is it, Or is it up, as in up from the bottom of the sea and then across way over in Jerusalem where the physical temple actually stood? So, but either way, so the, the hand of God reaches from his temple, from way over there, let's say, in Jerusalem in his mind's eye, reaches across and now down, down, down. Not only into the sea, but into the very pit, into the grave, into death itself, and reaches Jonah there from his point of view. Now, let me ask again, from where? Because if you step back for a moment, Jonah's movement so far, um, ever since the Lord spoke to him, uh, chapter 1, verse 2, get up and uh, go, get up and call to Nineveh, called him, commanded him, he said, no, no. Jonah's movement progressively has been downward and away. So first he went down to Joppa. Do you remember that? Chapter 1. And then on a ship away to the west in the opposite direction from Nineveh toward Tarshish. 
then down into the ship below deck. Do you remember that detail? And then over the side and down into the sea. Do you see the progression as we as we sort of summarise? And now it seems to me he turns, turns and prays toward your holy temple, God. Lord, I'm turning. I, I give up. I'm, I'm not running anymore. I'm turning back toward you. Is that the spirit of it? So I, I think we're to imagine, we're to see his body as it, as it floats downward to the seafloor, see his body twisting eastwards again, back toward God's temple. Uh, his face uh, turning upwards, back up through the water as he looks upward to his God. God, what have I been doing? Can you hear me down here? I know you can hear me down here. Jonah knows that he can hear him for he prays toward the temple of the God who wants his presence among his people, wants his people to call to him in his temple, promised to dwell among them in the temple in Jerusalem, promised to heed the prayers of his people who prayed toward that temple uh, when they prayed toward that place. Could you come with me and keep a finger in Jonah? Come with me. I just I really want us to grasp this point. I think it's so precious to us in our sort of darkness and when we're really in the pit. Come to me. 1 Kings chapter 8. Can you come to 1 Kings chapter 8? So you have to go back a little way in your Bible. 1 Kings chapter 8. Um, and the, the context there is... Uh, so Solomon is dedicating the temple. So David uh, was the king. You, you might remember David said, God, you've built me a house. I want to build you a house. And... Um, and uh, God says to him, you're not going to build me a house, David. I'll build your house, that is your dynasty, forever. And from you will come a son from me. Uh, but your son, Solomon, uh, will build a house. And uh, so Solomon, as um, time goes on, have you got 1 Kings 8 there now? Solomon indeed does build the house of the Lord, the temple um, of uh, God in Jerusalem. And then Solomon prays this epic long prayer that we're not going to read all of, um, although it is fantastic reading, but 1 Kings chapter 8, um, and let's pick it up, verse 33. We'll just read a few paragraphs there. When your people Israel... So this is Solomon praying to God at the dedication of the temple. When your people Israel have been defeated by an enemy because they have sinned against you, and when they turn back to you and give praise to your name, praying and making supplication to you in this temple, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them back to the land you gave to their ancestors. Verse 35, when the heavens are shut up and there's no rain because your people have sinned against you and when they pray toward this place, and give praise to your name and turn from their sin because you have afflicted them, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel. Teach them the right way to live and send rain on the land that you've given your people for an inheritance. Verse 37, when famine or plague comes to the land or blight or mildew, locusts or grasshoppers or when an enemy besieges them in any of their cities, whatever disaster or disease may come, and when a prayer or plea is made by anyone among your people, Israel, being aware of the afflictions of their own hearts and spreading out their hands toward this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place. Forgive and act. Deal with everyone according to all they do since, they, since you know their hearts, for you alone know every human heart. 
so that they will fear you all the time they live in the land you gave our ancestors. Will the Lord hear the plea of his desperate people? Will the Lord hear the plea of his desperate people as they turn toward him, as they cry to him, as they repent of their running away and their sin, as they realise what they've done, the mistakes that they've made, as they turn toward him? Will the Lord God of heaven hear the desperate pleas of his people? Jonah chapter 2 verse 2, In my distress I called to the Lord, And he answered me from deep in the realm of the dead. I called for help and you listened to my cry. May I just urge you to this, brothers and sisters, will you call to the Lord? For he listens. Jonah's plight. And Jonah's plea, Jonah's pledge, chapter 2, verse 8 of Jonah now. Chapter 2, verse 8. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. That's a bit rich coming from him, isn't it? Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord and the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. There's Jonah's pledge. Verses 8 and 9. Jonah's pledge. Tell me, does it remind you of anything that we've read so far in Jonah? Jonah's pledge there. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them, but I with shouts of grateful praise... Shouts of grateful praise will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I'll make good. It reminds me of Jonah 1, verse 16. Do you remember that? At this, the men, that is the sailors, greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. It's interesting, isn't it? Uh, Leslie Allen, uh, a commentator on, uh, on Jonah, who incidentally takes it to be a parable, um, even though he's a, a, a devoted to God's word and sits under it. But um, anyway, we take a different view on that. That's all right. He says this. He says, both chapters 1 and 2, both chapters 1 and 2 end with the theme of sacrifice and vows. The narrator of Jonah slyly intends us to draw a parallel between Jonah's experience and that of the seamen. Both faced a similar crisis, peril from the sea. Both cried to the true Lord God, acknowledging his sovereignty. Both were physically saved. Both offered worship. Ironically, Jonah is at last brought to the point, Jonah is at last brought to the point the Gentile seamen have already reached. He who failed to pray, you know, while he was on the ship, you don't hear Jonah praying in chapter 1, He who failed to pray, leaving it to the pagan sailors, eventually catches up with their spirit of supplication and submission. 
One of the most important things the author would have us see is that when faced with similar perils, there's no significant difference between pagans and Jonah. A sincere cry to Yahweh is effective, whether from a pagan or from one of his own rebellious prophets. Brothers and sisters, this morning, the book of Jonah isn't just about God's mission to the world. Is that what you think of when you think of uh, the book of Jonah? You think of Jonah, you think of the whale, okay, there's that spectacular thing, and you think of Nineveh. He goes to preach to Nineveh, and we'll get to chapter 4. Uh, preaching to that, that uh, uh, godless city, that city uh, that doesn't know its right hand from its left, it will get to chapter 4. But the book of Jonah isn't just about God's mission to the world. It's also about God's mission to the missionary. The book of Jonah has been described as being about two salvations, God's salvation to the heathen, that is Nineveh, and God's salvation to the Hebrew, namely Jonah. Now, we here at Good News, we talk a lot about God's mission to the world. You know, the message, the good news of Jesus is good news for everyone. We've really got an eye for the outsider in that. We talk about the, the Eastern Shore, we talk about our friends, we talk about our neighbours and colleagues and classmates, uh, the, the, the houses around about us here in Howrah. But has God's salvation come to you? That's what Jonah chapter 2 is impressing upon us. Has God reached down into your life and brought salvation? Has God, and never mind the people out there, just for a moment, all right, we'll get to that, we'll get to chapter 4 and chapter 3. Has God reached into your life and brought salvation? Has God reached down into your grave that seemed to bar you in forever in the death of the Lord Jesus for you and brought up life? Has he heard your cry from there? Have you called to him from the deep? Do you see? It's not just a message of God's salvation to the heathen, it's God's salvation to the Hebrew. It's not just God's mission to the world, it's God's mission to the missionary. Put it this way, we won't have anything worth listening to, worth saying to them out there until we've heard for ourselves in here what God has to say to us. Until we've heard what he says to us, until you've heard what he says to you. It's true, isn't it? When our God says, I love you and I'll go to the depths for you and I'll listen to your cries from the very brink of death and it will be my life that ebbs away that you might live. Do you know that, Lord? And have you pledged yourself to that God? And you realise, of course, he might ask you to do extraordinary things for you, for him. So Jonah's plight... Jonah's plea, Jonah's pledge. I think there's one more, actually. His plight, his plea, his pledge. But I think he has peace as well. Jonah chapter 1, verse 9. Have another look there. But I, with shouts of grateful praise... Or you could say praise, couldn't you? Jonah's praise, not a P word. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. In verse 10, And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Now, is Jonah... A, is it a book of history, or is it a parable? Are we really to imagine that for a few days in history, a man was trapped in a fish and he spent his time loudly singing to his God and we would have been able to hear his voice faintly from within 
the great body of the fish as it swam past us. I'll say this, I'd rather be a man with peace in my heart and praise on my lips, even if it meant being trapped in the guts of a fish. I'd rather be of peace and praise than spend my life running from God and raging at him and resisting his love. How about you? Let me close with these words from Romans chapter 6, where the Apostle Paul writes to the Roman Christians, don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And further down, now, if we died with Christ, we, will, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. Let's pray together. Our Father God in heaven, when we uh, talk about or, or look at this passage, when we talk about having an acute awareness of our mortality. Um, We know that we couldn't function if we lived and thought in that space all of the time. And yet we know it's a fact that none of us, this side of Christ's return, will live forever. And sometimes that truth uh, really grabs us and arrests us, maybe in the split second after a near miss or in that horrible moment when a diagnosis is delivered, whether it threatens life or even just life as we know it. Sometimes it comes when we least expect it and we are just cut to the core and the the waves seem to come over us and the, the seaweed holds us under and we're hemmed in by the shortness of our own life and our own powerlessness to do anything about it. We are so weak in the final analysis, O God. We are just like a man trapped by seaweed in the bottom of the ocean. But Father, would you please place praise on our lips and peace in our hearts for the power and compassion of our God is for us in the death of Christ and in his resurrection. Father, we specifically pray for any here who perhaps stand right now at a moment of decision or indeed a moment of crisis. God, would you grant that they turn toward you even for the very first time? Would you lead them, would you lead them to life up from the grave of Jesus? We pray it please in his name. Amen.